Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. How's it going, everybody? Really fired up to do our third edition of the in-season edition of the Philosophy Podcast, brought to you by Oxia Time. So, Andy, you are right now down in St. Martin, enjoying a little week of vacation? I am, a week on. A week on. Awesome, man. Well, um, hopefully the uh, Wi-Fi will hold up. We got a lot of uh, games to go over here and uh, really fired up. But uh, first of all, just tell us how it's going down there. Uh, it is really, really nice. It's a little windy, a little windier than I thought it would be. Um, but the place that we're staying at on the beach, the beach is great. The grounds are a little suspect. The food is off the charts and the service is really good. And our, and our room is really nice too. So we, uh, we're, we're, we're day one in here and, uh, really liking it more and more as time evolves down here. (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, uh, we'll we'll get through this podcast so you can get back to uh, back to the beach, back to milding. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you can be the tannist in the family, hopefully. Yep, there's a contest. Everything's a contest. We know we know who the bluest is. That's Frank Towers. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Unbelievable. A great weekend of games. Uh, and uh, we're going to start off with the Monday night game, the Monday afternoon game. Massive W for Coach Torpy with High Point knocking off Virginia. Just want to like tee this up before we get started. So, you know, uh, High Point had a comeback overtime win against Drexel 15-14 or something on Saturday. And the deal was that uh, Torp was going to play Lars on – Monday and that Lars was to play um, on Saturday versus Lehigh. And because of a threat of snow, they moved the game up to Friday and uh, it left. It's one of those scenarios where Lars had to do it, but it, no matter what, no matter how much he had to do it, whether his AD told him he had to do it, whether coach Cassis was like, we got to do it. It's still going to leave Torpy and like, you know, WTF a little bit. And now you have a day's advantage rest and so he Torp told me that, you know, at least maybe they could use it as a little bit of fuel. And it looks like that fuel might have worked. Huge W for those guys. They played really well. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. I was going back and forth with Torp too. And, you know, I, I almost feel like even though there's a perceived advantage gained, I feel like the greater advantage gained is the motivation that the other team is perceived to have tried to gain an advantage. You know, I, I, I think that. This is a this was a game that with High Point pulling out an overtime win against Volks and Drexel on Saturday. James and I watched the end of that game and what a game that was back and forth. But, you know, for them pulling that game out where coming off of a huge win against Duke and Virginia, you know, figuring out a way to get it done against really kind of a scrappy Lehigh team that was undermanned to, to, <clears throat> it sounds like some injuries 
um, you know, they still, I, I feel like that Monday game sort of put a, a battery, a Duracell battery for all you Robert Conrad fans out there on, uh, on Torp and High Point's shoulder going into that Virginia game. And sure enough, they, they pulled it out. I mean, it's, it's such a great win for that program. You know, we obviously, you know, are, are real good friends with both guys. And, um, you know, but you look at a team like High Point where they come off of a win against Duke just 11 days ago and you feel like, all right, they got over that hump with that great win, but to get another win that, that visually looks the same, you know, with, with the win over Virginia, you, they, listen, they, they have the greatest uh, body of work to this point. You know, I could argue based on, bo- on body of work, they should be number one in the country, body of work, right? They got win over Virginia and they win over Duke. Loyola was the only team that had two wins over ranked teams last week. And with Hopkins moving out of the top 20, they lose that. So listen, it, it, high point, I ranked them nine this week and I just tweeted this out. I ranked them nine this week and I obviously shortchanged them. I mean, I, I could, I could argue that they're, that they're three, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and so we'll see what happens, but what an awesome win for them. Yeah. Huge. You know, I think too, uh, you know, the, the home game is always an advantage, but there's a lot of people that don't love home games midweek, you know, whereas the team that is traveling gets an opportunity to kind of just focus on the game, to sleep, to have their meetings, whereas the home team oftentimes has, you know, they got school all day and, they, you know, they're just running around and then they roll in, you know, last second. So I think sometimes it's actually an advantage to be on the road for uh, for midweek games like that. Um, in particular, this was a game that, you know, Virginia, like you can tell the kids all you want that high points really good and they beat Duke, but they still don't look at them as the, as they will, you know, um, playing against a, another known quantity. And so no matter what, Torb definitely had those guys mentally ready to go. And, 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 and obviously, you know, Virginia, Virginia didn't, didn't come out totally flat. They jumped on them three, nothing, but they just, they did turn the ball over quite a bit. And they, they really couldn't handle Asher Nolting to the, you know, that, that Asher Nolting in my opinion right now is, is second only to Pat Spencer as uh, the best player in the country on offense. He is, he's got everything that you could want. You know, he's got such great vision and awareness that if you try to double him, he'll, he'll toy with you a little bit and yo-yo your slide. Um, his ability to just win his matchup happens every time. Um, and um, I mean, he just made, he, it was the first time he hasn't had an assist in a game probably in a long time. Um, usually, you know, when he has four goals, he's still going to have like five assists, but he dominated that game. Their goaltending was phenomenal. Um, Matt Moore made an unbelievable move at the end of the game, turned the corner, got all the way in, shot it, like literally got all the way in. That, oh, that was him, right? That was him that went down for the righty and shot it, lowered away, and, and Trapper jumped on that. And yep. I saw you and Mark Millen. Uh, you know, going back and forth a little bit about, you know, that was the opportunity to use a leaner and um, it was fun to follow that. Who won the draws? I didn't get to see the game, unfortunately, because I was traveling. Who won the draws in the game? Um, I think it was pretty damn close to 50-50. I, did, I, don't see, I didn't see the stat, but I mean, there was like <clears throat> the high point kid did really well. And then the Virginia kid would kind of beat him um, in, in the end. Um, you know, the high point kid won the biggest draw. Uh, um, after Virginia brought it to one goal with a minute left. 
um, they were able to high point won that face off. So as far as like the biggest one, the high point kid won it, but it was pretty, it was, it was a good battle, close battle. Right, 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 right. right. So anyways, huge for high point. Um, and, uh, and, and Virginia's got their work cut out for them. They got Princeton coming up this next week. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, The Phil Acrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Uh, Andy, did you watch the Duke-Denver game? What were your thoughts on that one? I did. I I watched the whole game. Uh, You know, I actually had picked... Denver in that game and I picked Denver in a low scoring game and there was a game that Duke and Denver played it might have even been last year that was almost like identical to the way that it finished and usually Bill Tierney's teams figure out a win a way to win those close games and so it was a little shocking to see Duke come back and win that game you got to hand it to them being down 6-2 losing on the losing the faceoffs getting rinsed and then they put up they put Jordan Ginder in there who was the freshman, I think, finished seven for 10 at the X. And it really gave them uh, the lift that they needed. And sure enough, they were able to chip away and chip away and chip away. And they won a one-goal game. I I think the best news for Duke is that they started to create a little bit of an identity for 2019. Um, And then that seemed to be something that I think they'd struggled with up until this point in the season. And I think down the stretch of that Denver game, it has shown that, uh, you know, the offense is, is able to support the defense, uh, you know, at a very, very high level to beat a team like Denver down the stretch after coming back from being down, I think shows that Duke is on their way to rectifying, you know, their, uh, their issues. It's, it's it just amazes me how Coach Stanowski is able to do this every single year when you just when you think that they're going to be down and out and you pick against them, they come back and and win with a, a an unbelievable team effort. Um, I only got to watch the first half of that game. Um, I thought Denver's defense looks excellent. Um, they're winning faceoffs, which which is amazing because obviously that they're coming off you know a, a, an epic run with Baptiste for four years, <clears throat> and the the Bose kid who's a Colorado kid, um, you know really did a great job in that game. Um, and um, but offensively, you know they play the same style. They play really smart. They seem to shoot well, uh, but they definitely. They definitely don't have, in my opinion, they don't look as as good as they've looked offensively uh, in this past game against Duke. As I've seen them in the past, there were shots that were taken, maybe because of the shot clock, but they took they took probably more shots that I didn't love than I've maybe seen them take in like ten years. Um, and some stick work errors. Was Montgomery hurt for Duke? Yeah, he didn't. I didn't see him play. He must have been. Yeah, I mean that kid. That kid is as big of a, a, a dodging threat to score as there is in the country at the midfield. So I think with him out, that team, you know, obviously isn't going to be the same as with him in there, but that's a kid that can beat a pole that you have to slide a pole to, to try to cover. And so he's going to be able to create a lot of offense. I wonder the extent of his injury. Do you know when he's coming back? When you have a guy like Montgomery and you got to put your best guy on him, then all of a sudden, you know, it changes the matchups for everybody else. Somebody else that was, 
getting a pole is now getting a short. Everybody else is getting a lesser, you know, a better matchup, you know. And, and so, uh, you know, obviously for them to be able to pull that game out without arguably their most dynamic player is pretty impressive as well. It's a great point. Yeah, they don't, I mean, they don't have anybody – Anybody that can really break you down with lateral quickness and explosiveness like that kid can. I mean, he really can just destroy a defender. Um, and when he comes back, this team is going to get a much, much needed boost. And I, I do think there's a, a, uh, a benefit to not having him in the lineup earlier in the season simply because it forces everybody else to step up. Yeah. But once they get that kid back and they're able to dodge him as a first dodging option or as a re-dodging option against a recovering defense, I think we're going to see Duke start to score four or five more goals a game like we have in the past. Yeah, their defense looks stout too. Giles I mean, Harris was a beast. I didn't, even, I didn't even notice Ethan Walker. I mean, did he even yeah. play? I felt like I didn't yeah, even notice played. He was covered by Giles Harris. And I mean, listen, it's – you know, shutting out Ethan Walker, uh, uh, you know, from a one-on-one -on -one defensive perspective, um, you know, is not that big of a shock. He's not really a dodging guy. He is a uh, hitch-and-go guy. He's a dodge off the fade. You know, he's a dodge off the catch tight to the net. But he's a upgrade. shooter and a playmaker. You know, he's an upgrade shooter, like you said. He's an upgrade he's an upgrade shooter. Shooter. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Hitch and switch, hitch um, and roll. Yeah. But Giles Harris is a beast, and he played. Like, last year, actually, Walker did score a bunch of dodging goals on him. Do you remember that? He scored three dodging goals, going underneath right-handed, stepping in on them. And this year, I think Giles Harris was determined to, to play him better, and, and, and he really did a great job. Let's talk a little bit about the Army win over Rutgers. I, I had seen Army, as I mentioned earlier, a play Penn State. So I saw them live. You could see how athletic, how athletic they are. You could see – that their defense is dialed. They, they have a great full field game with transition and 10 man rides. Um, their face-offs were pretty competitive against our Siri, which was impressive because you know how good our Siri is, but they, yeah. they looked like they were going to really struggle score. And yet they come out with a huge win last week against UMass. And this week, you know, knocking off Rutgers early in the season, a team that can really score shows, um, you know, bodes really well for them and how good they can be. No question. I don't think Army got enough credit in the poll this week. The fact that they were ranked 13th in the media poll blows me away. I had them ranked eighth. Um, you know, you look at their two wins and, you know, outside of, and, and this was after last week. So you look at Loyola's wins over Virginia and Hopkins. Rutgers probably has the two next best wins. Army. I mean, Army, yeah, with a win over uh, UMass in overtime and then Rutgers the following week. I'm not surprised by this result. I actually picked Army to win this game, even though they were underdogs based on the Lax Vegas lines. Um, you know, they were one-point underdogs. I thought they would win. You and I expressed concern about Rutgers on the back end and their inability to win face-offs and, and giving up, you know, a lot of goals in Queens to St. John's the week before. I'm not surprised at all to see Army come back and win this game. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I was shocked to see them down at 13 in the poll. I, I, frankly, I think they should have been ranked higher based on their current body of work. Yeah. I think the polls will sort themselves out over time. And it should be noted that I did, I did hear from a Rutgers, uh, alum, Mark Moreau. <laughs> I know Mark Moreau. He played on our Hartford teams. Yeah. Yes. Mark was like, Hey, you know, Rutgers, 
Rutgers, you know, didn't have their first or second string goalies in for the St. John's game. So, you know, give them a little more love. And I think we try to give them a lot of love. I like Rutgers. I want Brian Brecht and, and uh, Eric Saramet and those guys to do well. I think they're great guys. And I, I really hope that uh, Rutgers has a, you know, gets over the hump against the NCAA tournament. They've worked hard and, and really done a great job over the last number of years. But this game, no matter what, is is a tough one. Um, it's like, you know, you just – you just need these wins. But at the end of the day, they're going to have to win in the Big Ten anyway. So They are. You know, look, I, I had uh, this, uh, this guy, Jamie Conley, who lives in town here as a Rutgers alum, and he said the same thing, that their starting goalie was out when they played St. John's. And so I looked for, you know, them to hold down that end a little bit better. And they did. You know, they didn't give up as many goals against probably a scarier opponent, um, but they just couldn't get it done. All right, so uh, did you get a chance to watch any of the OSU-UMass game? I, I tuned in in the second half of that game. And, uh, I couldn't get their game. I know that it was back and forth. Um, and frankly, I thought UMass would beat them. Um, but you got to hand it to Ohio State. You know, they, they, they won 11-7, I think the final was, and they did it at UMass. And to go there and play on that hill, as we both know from playing there many times, it's a very, very hard place to play. And UMass coming off an overtime loss to Army, you know they were ready to play that game. And so it really makes a statement that Ohio State was able to come back and hold them down the way that they did and, uh, and get a huge W on the road. I think, that, I think that win, depending upon what happens with UMass, that win could end up uh, being, being something that really uh, helps them plead their case for an at-large berth if they don't get the AQ that goes with winning the Big Ten title. Well, and if nothing else, it just shows a, a serious amount of toughness to be able to do that because this is hard to win at UMass. It's hard to win early in the year when nobody really knows how good or not good they are yet. You know what I mean? Like you haven't sort of gotten to that point where, you know, you're, you're knowing who you are. And, and um, Greg Cannell's teams always play tough. They're always disciplined. Um, but, you know, Nick Myers does a great job of being, I mean, he, I'll tell you, having spent a day with their program, and I've done that actually a few times over the years, they are so buttoned up and dialed with their planning, it's remarkable. It, if anybody can ever go watch a practice, that's one of the ones you want to watch as far as how detailed they are in the way they attack literally everything, every element of the game, of the mental side, of the discipline side, the Buckeye way. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me in some ways, um, but um, in other ways, like you said, it's like playing at UMass is a tough place to win. So I, I, a lot of credit to, to Ohio State for that. It's huge. No question. Okay, how about the Syracuse-Albany game? That was a little bit of a shocker. I, <clears throat> I, um, I really was – I mean, Syracuse played great. Albany did not come to play the way that you, you, you figure they could. Um, and, um, and Syracuse really had their back against the wall, needed to come out and, and, and prove who they are. And they did, they played tough. They played smart. They played good defense. They played much better offense. They shot the ball. Well, thoughts on that game. Yeah. I watched the whole game with James on Sunday again. And, you know, after we watched Syracuse play the first game of the year against Colgate, and they just seemed uncomfortable on offense they seemed unorganized. They seemed unmotivated. They were really undisciplined. I feel like they just totally flipped the switch in this game against Albany. Uh, you know, I was really, really impressed with, number one, how hard Syracuse played, how passionately they played. They seemed to value every possession on both ends of the field. 
They had a plan offensively that they were able to replicate possession after possession after possession there. You know, Albany just couldn't seem to hold down those fast middies dodging from above the goal. And then they were able to hit the outlet. The outlet was serving, you know, the field and, and the ball ended up in Voigt stick, you know, a lot of the times. And he, you know, took some really, really greatly placed shots. And <clears throat> this Syracuse team showed who they can be when they, you know, play that way. And, and, and that's a, that's a top 10 team that Syracuse with the way that they played. Now, obviously they're going to have to continue to play that way to sort of dilute the loss to Colgate. And we don't know what's going to happen with Colgate, but fact is, is that if Syracuse can just stay in the moment and play that way uh, against their upcoming opponents, they're going to be, they're going to be right there in the end as well. You know? Um, So I was very, very impressed. I was, a little disappointed with the way that Albany played, but not terribly surprised offensively. You and I spoke last week a little bit about him, and Ryan Powell was—he nailed it in terms of uh, you know color on on the on the way the game was played. They really take a hit with Connor Fields being out of the lineup, and while Tahoka is an unbelievable talent and he he makes some great plays, I'm not sure that you can count on him to manage possessions the way that Connor Fields was able to do it. And Albany has to kind of figure that out because if they don't, they're going to struggle to score goals. I did think that the first dunk that Tahoka scored was a good goal and they gave him a one minute penalty. And that's a little rough. Uh, Fortunately, they got the next dunk, right? But I just, I'm concerned about Albany if they're not winning face-offs the way that they were last year. And let's face it, that's, you know, an aberration. Nobody wins at 80% pretty much ever, except for one time, one year, right? And, um, you know, but they're not winning enough face-offs to waste possessions. And then when you factor the, the disappearance of Connor Fields at the offensive end to manage possessions, they really are, they're really on their heels offensively. They got to they figure out, you know, how they're going to manage games on the offensive end to beat, you know, really, really good opponents. It really goes to show you how great Connor Fields was and how versatile because Connor Fields played the role that Tahoka played last year when he was a freshman, when Lyle Thompson was there and Fields was an off-ball guy who just shot the ball and was on the receiving end of a lot of offense and let Lyle QB the offense. And then when, when Connor Fields moved into that role, eventually Dehoga comes in and he plays the, the, the second fiddle role, which he's, he's like unbelievable at because he's such a great physical specimen. He's so skilled with such great vision, but he's not a great QB of the offense right now because he doesn't move enough, honestly. And if he were, if he were to move around and, and try to like, you know, get from one place to another quickly and get the ball moving along with his feet moving, you know, I think that maybe he could play that role. That's what he's going to have to do. It doesn't really seem like that's really in his physical arsenal though, to kind of play the QB role. He's really more of a wing guy, a catch it near the net, post you up and then, you know, make you pay if you don't slide and feed you and feed if you do. So yeah, I, I, I would, I would really like to see him uh, as the secondary initiator in possessions. You know, I'd like to see the quicker, slicker guys be the, be the first option. And 
you know, if they don't get anything off that, but are able to draw a slide, I'd like to see Tahoka catch that first pass. And sometimes that's going to be a catch and shoot. Sometimes it's going to be a catch and feed. He's an unbelievably good passer, yeah. you know, and, and he's obviously a very, very talented, uh, you know, finisher as well, but I don't like him as the lead initiator, at, you know, to echo what you said. I, I just don't think if you're, if you're, if you're not really, laterally quick and explosive to be that first dodge when teams are ready to go. I just, I don't like that. I, I like them better. You go to a quick slick guy and, you know, maybe he's dodging on one wing and then, you know, Tahoka's catching the first pass or the second pass and then re-dodging off of that. You know, I, I think that's, I don't think one guy can cover him, but I think he needs to dodge that one guy against the recovering defense, not guys no that are ready to go. It's a lot like, uh, like, Cloutier, Cloutier. Uh, like exactly. Cloutier. I mean, like yeah. when he had Pontrello and all those guys around him, he was uh, unstoppable. But when he had to be the ball carrier, he's it's just easier for the defense to kind of zero in on a guy that's not that fast and explosive and two handed. That's right, and he'll because because he'll dodge really really deep, and yet he's not quick enough to really get away if he doesn't get anything that way. So they'll figure it out. I watched uh, a little bit of the Penn State Stony Brook game. When it was like I tuned in and it was fifteen nothing Penn State. I saw. Uh, I mean, Penn State is putting up numbers. Uh, like honestly, I mean, tw- they've put up 27, 18, and seventeen or something like that. And they could have put up thirty against Stony Brook. I mean, easily. A Penn State is super scary. There's no question about it. Yet they haven't beat a ranked opponent yet. Well, I guess technically they have now that Villanova is in the polls. I think at fifteen after beating Yale. Yeah. Uh, Penn State's really scary. I mean, just just from you know optics alone, you got to look at Penn State and Loyola as the two teams that are seemingly a, a, above everyone else. And while High Point has two better wins than anybody else in the country, just in terms of optics, it's hard to look and it's hard to it's hard to say anybody is with Loyola and Penn State right now. But then you've got that next group of Cornell, Maryland, Ohio State, UNC, Notre Dame, Army, High Point. You know, maybe Towson, maybe Colgate, although Colgate, I, 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 I got to wait and see on them, even though they got a great win over a much improved Syracuse team. But, you know, I, I think there's a couple different groups here. And, and, and one is those first two in Loyola and Penn State. And then one is that, you know, next six of, of Cornell, Maryland, Ohio State, North Carolina, Notre Dame, Army, High Point, which I guess is seven. Let's <laughs> talk a little bit about Pat Spencer and, and the Loyola Greyhounds. I mean, how – how dominant does Pat Spencer look to you? I mean, that's kind of a rhetorical question. I mean, the kid is like literally, he's one of the best players I've seen in, in recent memory. No question. You know, Mark Millen tweeted out uh, if he had to construct the perfect attackman that it would basically be Pat Spencer. You know, tall, quick, explosive, athletic, um, you know, an unbelievable passer to both sides, an unbelievable shooter with time and space. Both sides can dodge the score, both sides. He's got a unique skill set. I agree. He, he's, he's just really, really good. You know, he just, he seems like, you know, it could be, uh, you know, him and, and five average people, five, five small average little people, and he'd, they'd still be great. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's not, you know, his sort of supporting cast is, is great. I, I, again, Kevin Lindley scores four goals, um, you know, but this team I think is just going to get scarier and scarier and scarier. But, but Pat Spencer is really, really good. 
all summer. Um, I watched a lot of Adonax games. The uh, and, and Chase Scanlon um, was uh, a star for the Coquitlam Adonax. And I, I been watching him play over the last year, the last summer. It, you know, I, I wrote about it a lot when I was when I would write my blog because I was like, this kid is unbelievable. He puts up numbers, man. Like, I mean, he put he up numbers in junior A lacrosse as an eighteen year old. That that like is really really hard to do when you are a 21 year old and, 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 the, and the numbers he's putting up as an 18 year old are like numbers that guys that are like going right into the NLL put up. I mean, like he puts up, he shoots it unbelievably well. His, yeah. his ability and his feel for the game and his ability to beat people and feed it is off the charts. Um, I mean, this guy uh, is, you know, he's going to end up getting a poll soon enough. They're going to have to, they're going to have to figure that one out because he, he will. Totally. I agree with you. I was, I didn't even know he was, you know, I knew he was a good player and I know you had spoken about him before and, but, but that performance that he put on against Hopkins was just unbelievable. And you feel like it's just the beginning though. Yeah. I've watched him do it. I mean, he plays a lot like Lyle, honestly. Um, you know, he, he, the way he gets into this sort of uh, – he gets, like, close to his guy and he just looks – he's in a dodging posture and it looks like he's going to the rack, but he's looking and he feeds from that position all – he is so deceptive in the way he feeds. Uh, he's, he sent a nice little feed inside of somebody and he just made it look like he was going to be going to the rack hard and then popped a little lever feed out towards the end of the game. Um, I mean, if there's a if there's a, a, a knock on him, he hangs on to the ball a little bit too much, and I think that uh, that's the, that's going to be the thing that you know is is going to be the number one thing for him to make sure he does. Is if he just can move it, move it, move it, and let the game come to him. I mean, honestly, I think he's going to be a Tawarton level player uh, before he's done. And I, I said that in the summer before he even got to college. I think the kid's phenomenal. The Philocrosophy podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son must utilize video to learn his game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3video.com. Um, what are your thoughts on Hopkins? You know, I, I, I actually thought that they would bounce back and potentially beat Loyola this weekend. And clearly I hit that nail right on the side. Um, I just am, I'm just so disappointed in, in their lack of athleticism on the offensive end. I mean, who's really their scary player? I, you know, I, I don't see anybody. I mean, Joey Epstein did well statistically, had some great dodges. But there's nobody laterally quick that you look at and you're like, oh, this, we really got to be concerned with this guy. Like you feel like if you're athletic on the defensive end that you're going to be able to cover Hopkins without having to very slide very much. I mean, Cole Williams, I know he's a big, strong kid and, and all that sort of stuff, but, he, but, but he's not that scary. He's not, you know, and, and I don't think that there's anybody on that team on the offensive side that – if teams just came out and said, you know what, we're not going to slide to Hopkins ever. I think they, I think they'd really struggle. I really think they'd struggle. And it's disappointing because I know that they're well coached and I know that they've got good players, but it doesn't seem like they have, you know, that elite quickness 
I just, I just feel like they're going to have to make some changes and get some athleticism on the offensive end of the field. And by athleticism, I really mean some lateral quickness and explosiveness so that they're able to break down the on-ball defenders and create some slides because it doesn't seem like outside of Joey Epstein, there's anybody that can really do that. And even Joey Epstein, I don't think is, you know, you're not looking at him and being like, wow, he's Mark Millen explosive. He's not, he's, he's a fundamentally sound Dodger. He's quick and, you know, he's a good player, but, you know, are you going to really ask him to dodge 15 times a game to create your offense for him? I just don't, the Hopkins offensively doesn't, they're not scary. You know, they got, they got an unbelievably good shooter in, uh, in, in Mar, but if they're not creating slides, tough for him to get a lot of high quality opportunities on a consistent basis. Yeah. And Cole Williams, you know, can body you. Um, but again, he's like, he's kind of like Tahoga that way. Like, you know, he's better off coming on the, you know, he's not a great initiator of the offense. He's much better catching it off of two passes, sticking his body in there and getting shots off. I, I'd like to see Cole Williams up top on a redodge. You know, you, you initiate with Joey Epstein behind an X and you script some spacing and some off ball movement to allow these guys to get some depth. And then you get the ball up top to Cole Williams on a hard redodge. And now you're able to fully utilize his size and dilute sort of his lack of lateral quickness a little bit because he's dodging downhill against the defender that's scraping out to him against the defense that's dropped down out of respect for Joey Epstein's initial dodge. That's where I think, you know, but again, I don't go to the practices. I don't know, but that's, you know, that's a pot. That's a way to allow Cole Williams to get his touches and initiate, you know, and get the ball on a guy that's one of your best player sticks. But but do it, you know, in a way that I think puts a little more pressure on the defense because they got to they got to get some answers offensively. They're not they're not they're not they're, they're not getting it done offensively. Yeah, I agree. Um, so we have a new segment that uh, Andy and I are pumped up to share with you guys, which is going to be an Ivy League review. And we're going to have an Oxia time Ivy League player of the week and um, really pumped up about this um, really quick backstory. So John Canaris, and you remember John from Penn graduated. Yeah. Uh, was cool. the goalie when Penn went to the final four in 1988 um, and almost beat Syracuse and uh, was the goalie that got dunked on twice by Gary Gate on the air gates. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and the, and the story on that actually is pretty interesting. So do you remember that Penn had played the zone in the last game of the season in 88 against Syracuse? And they really struggled to score. Now, Penn came back. and I mean, uh, Syracuse ended up winning the game by four. Um, but the, the story goes that, you know, they had a really strong, uh, hard time scoring on Penn's, on Tony Seaman's zone. And in this zone, they wouldn't play you behind. And that was why, you know, Gary figured out, like, well, maybe if they're not going to play me behind, maybe I can just dunk it. And so, sure enough, you know, in the final so, four. So, Penn, so Penn Syracuse played the last regular season game before they played in the playoffs. In the final four that year? Yes. Huh? That is That's interesting. And that was how – that was honestly how uh, – you know, what, what made Gary think of doing it, you know, in practice, like, well, they're not going to play us behind, you know, this is what I would do in box, you know, I can dunk it. And so right. uh, sure enough that he dunks it, um, it's air gate forever. And, uh, and, uh, but John Canaris and, and Peter Smith and, um, you know, um, Ed McMahon, uh, McCartney, the uh, mini. what's his name? They, uh, face off. Yeah. Chris Flynn was absolutely total beast. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that, that team was a great team, that Penn team. And uh, that year Cornell was in the uh, final four also in 1988. Um, yeah, they went to the final four. That was, that was Timmy, Timmy Goldstein's senior year, right? They lost yeah. 13 ultimately to Syracuse that year, I think. Yeah. 
So anyways, John Canera started this company. He won the Ivy League twice. And his watches, um, unfortunately, only work, you know, um, after a year or two, twice a day. Um, because they're bound to be correct twice a day when they stop working. Um, <laughs> but but he, he's, he just lo- he, he got into it. So we started this company called Oxia Time. And I ran into him at the convention and he's like, Hey man, I'd love to do, you know, I'd love to sponsor your podcast. Um, and so all they do right now is they have these really nice Swiss made watches, um, that are, um, that are, that have like, and he makes them right now just for the Ivy league. And he makes them, he basically has a little emblem, a logo. Um, and uh, he's going to give you and me a watch towers. How sweet is that? That's great news, Jamie. (laughs) So anyways, we're going to do an Oxia Time Ivy League Player of the Week, and we're going to do this uh, Ivy League review, and we're going to whip through the games every week during our podcast. So really pumped up about this. Really psyched to see these watches and, uh, and share this with folks. Um, but um, let's start off with Brown QPAC. Thoughts? Um, I was just really happy to see Brown pound them the way that they did. You know, as, as alums, we can be a little – uh, jaded here in our analysis, but I was I was really happy to see Brown put up that many goals, and it's a great start to the season for a team that we know has great talent and, and great leadership. And um, you know, this was an important win to get. Quinnipiac's had some problems, obviously, in the off field, losing uh, their head coach, and so you got to feel like they're on their heels a little bit. But regardless, Brown really left no gray area with that result. So I'm, yeah. I'm really happy. Yeah. Great win for those guys. They got Stony Brook coming up next week. Um, let's talk a little bit about Dartmouth and BU to no surprise BU hammers. Yeah. I saw again, I didn't, I didn't watch this game. I just followed it and I saw that Dartmouth, it looks like fell behind six zero and then it was 12, six at half. And it looked like BU cruised pretty much all the way through to what a seven goal win where they win 15 to eight, I think 15, seven, something like that. Yeah. 15, eight. Yeah. I was a little shocked to see that George Christopher didn't get the start in goal for Dartmouth. Um, but again, I don't go to their practices, so I don't know, but it does look like they've, they've got a little bit more scoring on the offensive end. Um, but they're going to have to, they're going to have to figure out a way to get it done at both ends. If they want to compete in the Ivy league. How about, an unbelievable game with Penn, Maryland. Penn so close to winning the game at the very end of the game on that transitional play. Breakaway pretty much on the catch, a catch and shoot in transition that becomes a one-on-one with the goalie. Penn, yeah, Maryland goalie comes up huge, um, but uh, seems like the, the face-offs were the story of the game too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not surprised that this was a great game. In fact, Penn always seems very, very well prepared to start the seasons. You know, it seems like every year of the year they beat Duke. Uh, you know, they got Duke, I think, this weekend. I think they go to Duke this weekend. Um, and they certainly would have loved to get this one over Maryland. But the bigger concern is, is for Maryland. I mean, they, they don't seem like they're playing very well. They've had a bunch of really, really close wins. And while they are getting the wins, um, you know, it, it, it's – it's not setting up well for Big Ten play, so they got to figure out a few things and figure out who they're going to be on on the offensive end and on the defensive end. And you know, I would have gone to this game thinking that they would have killed Penn. Although 
in complete transparency, I wasn't aware that Kyle Gallagher had transferred from Hofstra to Penn. And that explains, you know, why Penn won all the faceoffs. Is he's one of the very best guys out there. But I didn't think that he was going to be able to beat. I didn't think anybody would beat the two-headed monster of Shockey and Henningsen at Maryland the way that the way that Kyle Gallagher was able to do for Penn. And clearly that was, uh, you know, the difference in allowing this game to be as close as it was. Uh, so a Hofstra transfer to Penn and an Albany transfer to Yale at the faceoff position. Um, you know, these are, these are different days in the Ivy league from, you know, at least when I was at Yale, I don't think we had too many transfers at all, much less. No. No. <laughs> um, so what are your thoughts on the Princeton Monmouth score? Uh, you know, it was a little extreme. If you ask me, I, I, I'm glad to see Princeton leaving, uh, you know, again, no gray on the offensive end. They, they pounded Monmouth. What was it? 23 to seven, something like that. I mean, I'm not too impressed by scores of that differential. I mean, I, I don't know whether that speaks more favorably to Princeton's offense or, um, to Mama's ability to improve defensively. But I do know that Princeton's got a scary attack. I don't think they get enough credit. Certainly we all know about Sowers and know he's one of the very, very best players and attackmen in the country, but perhaps his supporting cast isn't getting as much credit as they deserve. Um, Chris Brown from Fairfield prep and McCordry, you know, we're going to see what these guys can do this weekend against a team with more comparable talent. In Virginia. Yeah, Virginia. Yeah. Uh, Cordry had six and two in the game. Um, you know, Princeton is like maybe, maybe the one team that I feel like I just haven't watched as much. I haven't seen as much Michael Sowers as I want to. And so this year I'm going to make it a point to really watch him and study him. I mean, what I've seen, I've been pretty blown away by. I think he's an incredible player. Um, he uh, just hasn't been on as much. And so I'm pretty pumped up to check him out. Um, we've got the Carolina Harvard game. Um, which was ended up looking like, you know, whatever, four or five goal game or something, 14, 10, I think. But, but it was a one goal game late, you know, fourth quarter, um, end of the third, beginning of the fourth, it was definitely a one goal game. Uh, Carolina did a really good job of, of having sort of the, uh, uh, the mental toughness to pull it, to pull it out and, 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 um, and not, you know, last year they just let teams come back on them and, and sometimes they lost those games or went to overtime. They were able to actually like, you know, make the plays on both sides of the ball and in the, and, and winning faceoffs, Tucci is huge. Um, so they were able to pull off what, what was a pretty good win. Um, and uh, what, what were your thoughts on that game? I, th- I think you just pegged it. Um, last year, Carolina really struggled at the X and the difference with this year's version of North Carolina is that with Zach Tucci in the lineup, they're able to win, you know, 60% plus at, at, at the faceoff dot. And that really was the difference in this type of game. I mean, this is a game that last year probably would have been a one goal game that Carolina maybe would have lost, but, but getting able to get possession after possession with him at the X was critical and, and Harvard scrapped. I mean, they did, they did, they did a really good job. I was impressed with Harvard's mental toughness, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but Carolina had too much on the offensive end. And I just think that, um, you know, it, it, it was it was too much face-off success, too many possessions for North Carolina, for Harvard to get over that last hump. What disappointed me about Carolina was it just seemed like they had so many possessions where they would throw the ball across the top and the ball would be a poor pass and go out of bounds. I mean, I feel like I remember seeing that three or four times in about a span of seven or eight possessions, and they got to clean that up. And if you'd think that 
you know, that sort of stuff is going to sort itself out as the offensive players get used to playing with each other and, and, you know, given the quality of athletes and players that they are, and if they can shore that up and stop giving possessions back to their opponents, Carolina, again, is going to be a team that's going to be right there in the ACC mix at the end. Yeah. Yeah. They're athletic. Um, their defense is, is playing well, but they're really, you know, they're the defense, the defense, um, is well-coordinated and they're tough and they play hard and they look to double you and they get all over you. And I like that, you know, the aggressiveness of the way that they play, you know, I'm sure that they're just beginning and getting to where they hope they can be. And I agree with you off, you know, offensively, they just going to have to take care of the ball better. I mean, that's true. You know, it was true with Virginia too. I mean, Virginia threw the ball away so much yesterday. It was one of the big reasons why they lost the game. You just can't do that against good teams. Um, Sure. Good good teams don't do that. (laughs) What? I said, and good teams don't do that. It'll yeah. throw the ball away. Exactly. The, uh, the Ivy League um, game of the, of the day, though, was the upset of Villanova over number one Yale. Um, I was texting with Andy Shea last night, and uh, <laughs> he's not impressed with his group right now, even though, you know, I watched their, their scrimmage of, the, of their Syracuse scrimmage where they were up like 12-4 at halftime on Syracuse and ended up – I mean, they've got athleticism. They can win faceoffs. They've, you know, they've got a good defense. Um, they've got Jackson Morrill on attack. I love what they do. They've got a bunch of pieces. I, I personally think – that when you're playing a team that's been practicing for five and a half weeks and you've practiced for 16 days, it's a pretty big disadvantage. And if I'm an Ivy league team, I'm just not going to try to play one of the biggest games of the year with such a massive disadvantage in preparation. There's just no way you're ready to go 16 days in, as opposed to these guys that started practicing, you know, um, on January 10th. I, 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 I agree with you hundred percent. There's a major difference between a team that's practiced six weeks versus a team that's practiced three weeks with that said, Yale just went up and scrimmaged Syracuse after one day of practice and, and, and beat them up pretty good. While the final score was not indicative of how much Yale dominated that scrimmage based on, you know, the color that Clark provided. Uh, you know, I didn't go watch the scrimmage, but it sounds like Yale was just pounding them, especially in the early going. I don't really see that as the issue. To me, I see the same sort of thing that's affecting Yale's offense with Ben Reeves no longer in the lineup is sort of what affected Duke's offense with Justin Gutterding now. They're going to figure out kind of who they are. And, you know, I, the one area that, that we're not really talking about is how great of a job Mike Corrado and his staff did at getting Villanova to bounce back after getting drop kicked into the ocean by Penn State to come back and play against Yale, lose whatever, 18 out of 25 faceoffs and still find a way to hold them down and win a one goal game in overtime. My, my Corrado, those guys, it seems like they always get it done, you know? And I, I have to say that I looked at that first Penn state game and I thought, wow, Penn state's really good. But at the same time, that's so unlike Villanova to get beaten. Oh, I guess, I guess Villanova got beat 17 to seven, um, not 27 to 10, but that was RMU. But anyway, I just, I, I don't think Mike Corrado and those guys get enough credit for having their team bounce back after a 10 goal loss to Penn state and come back and, and, and beat what we all feel is was clearly the number one team in the country going into this game. And, you know, I'm not so sure that this loss to Villanova isn't a great thing for Andy Shea and his team, you know, so we'll see what happens. I, they're going to get an opportunity to find out how they use it 
this weekend against Penn State when the Nittany Lions come into town on Saturday. I can't wait to watch that. Greg Gremlina texted out, uh, you know, his excitement and anticipation of TD Ireland and, and uh, our Sierra going head to head this weekend. And, and, and look, this, this is, this could very well be a preview of a final four game, Yale versus Penn State. And we might be getting it in the third week of the season. So I, I predict Yale will be back. And I think that, Penn State is going to be challenged in a way that they haven't been challenged this season with uh, a Yale team that's focused on uh, on 2019 rather than, uh, you know, maybe uh, coasting into 2019. Yeah. Well, so then let's do our, uh, our Axia Time player, Ivy League player of the week. Mine goes to Ryan Graff from Harvard. Uh, Ryan is a junior you know, he's been that lefty attackman that, you know, was kind of a finisher um, for his first two years, you know, really slick, 6'5", um, but has come into his own physically. And now he's a handful. Um, you know, he, he literally, like, he scored, I think, three one-on-one goals. When he bangs you, um, you're, you know, you, you're going to have a hard time pushing him out. And he's got really good vision. He's got really good slick. He scored five goals in the game against Carolina. Um, and, uh, and, and, and really put them in position if they, if they were going to win, it was, it was going to be a lot because of his efforts. So my first Axia time, I believe player of the week goes to Ryan Graff, a Minnesota kid, uh, whose dad Rob actually played at, uh, Harvard, uh, and graduated in 87 was a West, uh, was a, um, uh, award medal guy. Yeah. Great choice. He, he, he had a, he had a great game against Carolina. He's got great hands too, and he knows how to move the ball and get himself into spots. So he puts a lot of pressure on defense with the way that he moves and the hands that he has and the way that he shoots. Um, he's, gonna, I think, he's going to become one of the very best attackmen in the league this year. And uh, it was great to watch him have success. My Axia Player of the Week goes to the transfer from Hofstra, Penn's new faceoff guy, Kyle Gallagher. Uh, beating up on the two-headed monster at Maryland and uh, giving them a chance to win <clears throat> late in the game, uh, but wasn't able to do it. But he's my player of the week. All right. So everybody that's interested in this and learning about this, go to axiatime.com. Um, and that's axiatime.com. And also, if you are interested, um, there is a $100 uh, off deal if you use this coupon code Bruno 100 capital B R U N O 100 because me and Andy went to Brown we uh, you know I pretty much demanded that you know something from Brown be in the coupon code so if you want to get 100 bucks off these watches are pretty awesome check them out Bruno 100 axiatime.com Ivy League review uh, so let's move on to our last segment here Andy and talk about this upcoming week so we've got uh, Maryland Colgate today, and then we got UVA Princeton, Maryland Navy, Richmond Notre Dame, North Carolina Hopkins, Yale Penn State, and Duke Penn are the games that uh, I want you to give a quick uh, overview on. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the one that we touched on briefly, the one that I'm most excited about is definitely Penn State at Yale. I think that is a game that is going to be, uh, it's going to have it all. You know, you've got Great offenses, great defenses. Un- probably the two best face-off guys at the X. Uh, that game is a game that I'm really looking forward to. I think Yale bounces back and beats Penn State. That's what I think. 
Uh, I'm also looking forward to the Virginia Princeton game. I think Princeton. I think I think Princeton's going to have its hands full with Virginia. I see them bouncing back and winning that game. Um, Colgate Maryland today is going to be interesting. We're going to find out a little bit more about Colgate playing well, but they're going to have their hands full playing the Terps coming off a scare at Penn. Maryland's got to figure out what their deal is. They really do. Um, but I, I, I think Maryland probably pulls that game out. North Carolina Hopkins is going to be interesting. Hopkins going down to North Carolina. Uh, I actually just found Max Vegas line. So Hop, I see Carolina's favored by two and a half over Hopkins. I just don't think Hopkins is going to fix their situation enough. I think they're going to lose faceoffs to Zach Tucci and co. I see Carolina winning that game. I'll tell you an interesting game, Jamie, that we, that we will look forward to covering is going to be Hobart playing Cornell. They play them at home, I believe. Cornell hasn't played yet. Hobart just threw up huge numbers against Siena. Um, not that we can, you know, learn a lot from a Siena loss, but still, Hobart, I think, is a team that Cornell better take seriously or, or Cornell could lose the game, particularly if, if Hobart wins faceoffs, which they may do. That guy is, is really, really good that they have. And if they can win faceoffs and control the ball, Cornell may, may be in for a real battle there. Um, what other games? Villanova Hofstra. I think that that's going to be an interesting game. And Duke Penn. Go- Duke Penn. Yeah, I think I think Duke finding a way to pull it out against Denver, and Penn not getting it done against Maryland is uh, is going to help Duke. I, I, that's what I think. I wouldn't be surprised. That now see Duke's favored by three against Penn. They play them at home. You know who faces off for Duke. I think they'd be crazy not to go with Jordan Ginder, the freshman who changed the momentum of that Duke Denver game on Saturday. And so to see him and Gallagher go head to head, that's going to be interesting. If Duke wins faceoffs, I think Penn could be in trouble there. And I think that, uh, again, I don't know what, I, I, that's going to be a real battle between those two guys. Um, and then what else? Army Syracuse. How about Richmond, Notre Dame? Richmond, Notre Dame. I think I think Notre Dame is gonna is gonna get it done. Richmond pulled out a really close game against Bucknell. Um, Notre Dame rode the power of their stud midfielders, and I think that along with the great defensive scheme and 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 players, I think I think Notre Dame wins that game too. Um, Notre Dame is favored by three in that game. You know, if you kind of go through the lines, I think of. Big games, Maryland favored by four and a half versus Colgate. I like I like Maryland in that game, even though you know what? I don't know if I like Maryland in that game. It's a good line. These guys are good. Uh, Hobart getting four at home against Cornell. I haven't seen Hobart play. Tough to go against Cornell. John Hess sent me, gave me a little shit yesterday for ranking Cornell up at three when they haven't played a game yet, and it's fair. That's that's fair shit, John Hess. Um, you know, <laughs> Maryland minus two and a half versus Navy. Maryland's Maryland has kind of a tough week here, right? They play they play Tuesday against Colgate, then they come back and they play at Navy on Saturday. And Navy's tough, man. They they had a good win against uh, UMBC. They're athletic. Um, you know, they're they're honestly they're just a pretty well balanced team that can run by you in the midfield that can actually dodge on attack. 
and they've got really, really good team defense, and they're just coming into their own. How about Towson? How about Towson favored by one and a half against Georgetown at home? That's going to be a dogfight too. That's one of those games that it's like I think that's like an impossible one to pick. To be honest with you, I just don't yeah. know personally about Georgetown um, and Towson. It's like you know, I, I watched their Hopkins game and the they looked really impressive in their abilities to score goals. And you know that Coach Natalin always has those guys playing great defense. We know they've got like a shorty uh, that plays you know like a fifth pole, and they win faceoffs. So I mean, I would say that that's you know. I, I, I would say that's a pretty safe bet on um, if there is such a thing. I think, awesome. I think I think you summarized Towson right there. You know they're tough, they're organized, they got great defense, and they win faceoffs. That's just a team that's really tough to play against, right? I mean, yeah. you 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 got a you got a split at the faceoff action. I don't see that happening for Georgetown. I wouldn't be surprised to see Towson beat them by three or four goals this weekend. Um, what else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, we'll, it's going to be we'll out Rutgers. I think Rutgers is going to be in trouble. I do. I think that Loyola is going to win the faceoffs, and I think they're going to score a lot of goals on Rutgers. You think um, Loyola at Rutgers? What's your prediction on that one? I think Loyola wins like eighteen to ten. Yeah, Loyola is just—they're tough. How about this battle, the Albany Drexel? Every year, this is like every for a lot of years. It's been a great game. What are your thoughts on that one? Well, I think it's going to be like nineteen to eighteen, Albany. <laughs> <laughs> I was really impressed with Drexel last week. They did a great job of beating up High Point at the X and, and lost a game that I felt like they kind of outplayed High Point over the course of the entire game, and High Point pulled it out at the end. Um, but I think Drexel is a team that's going to be a scary team to play. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Drexel dominates the X and ends up beating Albany. All right. Last game to talk about Syracuse army. Huge one. Yeah. Which, which Syracuse team are we going to see? And all indications are that we're going to see the one that, that beat up on Albany last Sunday, 13 to five. So even though I got army ranked real high, I predict that Syracuse comes back, wins the draws, and finds a way to win this game. Huge, huge game for both teams. I mean, if if if, if Army can win this game, they put themselves right in a great position. Uh, they do for an opportunity for at large, which we know is so important because you got to win your league. But these leagues, the Patriot League, is going to be remarkably challenging this year. As all, I mean, it, everything gets more challenging as parity grows. Uh, so getting these out of conference wins is kind of like twerp, you know. Getting getting those wins on his resume means that you know that you can you can get to the tournament in two ways, which is I think is huge. Yeah, there's there's no question. Well, I think that it's uh, you know it's reflective of so many great players, so many great teams, and every staff being the best staff in the country. Jamie, yeah, sure. You know, which we gotta love. Who was that 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 gave us a little shit online? I, I gotta hand it to him. That, that is very fair. It was a very fair assessment. So it was uh, paradise. Who was it? I don't know, but it's just, it's, it's parody. It's just parody. Yeah. All right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, listen, Andy, have a uh, great time on vacation. Thanks for taking the time out of your uh, beach time to join us on the uh, podcast. Really pumped up uh, to get this out ASAP and um, we will check in uh, next week. All right, Jamie, have a great week. We'll check in. Always fun. Yeah. Later. All right.
The Philosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 13-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. For more information, go to www.jm3academy.thinkific.com.